Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in. It is another edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show, Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. And we are here to take you through absolutely everything Pittsburgh Penguins. And we'll start as we bring in our friend Eric Tangrady, former Penguin, current Shady Side Academy head coach, at ETangrady on Twitter, uh, as we do a couple times every week. We'll start, Tango. Let's go back. Let's rewind about 72 hours. And I'm going to ask you, Uh, Not just what your initial reaction was 72 hours ago on Friday afternoon, but now that you've had some time to digest everything, what do you make of what Ron Hextall did at the deadline, I guess over the course of the last week, week and a half? And did he make his team any better? That's it's hard. It's hard now, I guess, to say. I think that it was. I mean, I guess it's just been consistent with what he's been saying as far as not wanting to make that big, uh, you know, astronomical change. Uh, I think we all agreed that change was necessary in the bottom six. But when I look at the pieces and then I look about look at what the rest of the the, the teams need for Eastern Conference did, like they're still missing sandpaper. They're still missing grit. Uh, right. You take on a ton of salary uh, for bottom six guys that, you know. I, I think the positivity is in the fact that there needed to be a shakeup and there needed to be change. And now you're getting some production, but uh, overall scheme of things. No, I don't think the team is in a better place. I just think um, some guys who needed to step up have stepped up and they've started to have success because of that. Yeah. It, it feels like, uh, and and Joe Starkey said this to me on Friday when we did a little trade deadline round table, if nothing else, it's addition by subtraction. Like to your point, you, you've gotten some of the guys out of there that were, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, dead weight. You've moved them out. You've brought some guys in, uh, particularly a guy, you, you mentioned sandpaper, you know, he's not your typical, like uh, dig your, dig his elbow into the back of your head in the corners kind of guy, but Benino's, I think a good example of a guy who knows what it takes to win um, in late April, May uh, and early June. If you get that deep, he's proven it here. So I I like that addition. I honestly think Dmitry Kulikov could be an under the radar uh, steal for as far as a guy. Again, you talk about guy who may be a little harder to play against and they need that depth on the left side of defense. We'll see who he ends up getting plugged in the lineup for. Sounds like it's going to be, for uh, POJ at first instead of Dumoulin, but we'll see how that goes in the next few days. But I I, I agree, incremental improvement, but not enough to make me go, ooh, okay. Um, When you saw so much go on in the Eastern Conference, I mean, Meyer, Kane, O'Reilly, everything Boston did, it's hard to look at the pens and feel like they were really able to keep pace. And so, yeah, I I think I'm with you. If, If it's improvement, there's not enough there to make you think that this team goes from a first round 
exit maybe to uh, maybe, maybe they steal around, but uh, whatever they did last week, I don't think changed your expectations of the postseason necessarily. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, uh, biggest eye opener to me was just watching what, you know, teams did like Boston and Tampa basically made it clear to the rest of the Eastern Conference that our top six, we feel can beat your top six. But now you want to play against our bottom six, you want to play hard minutes against uh, 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 Ross Colton, Tanner Janot. You know, Nick Paul line, you want to add Bertuzzi to Charlie Coyle and Trent Frederick. Like those are scary, scary third lines that have the ability to completely shift playoff games. So like what we talked about, sure, the, the top six for Pittsburgh has been fantastic and outstanding, but they just needed, I think, that one piece in the third line, that uh, that one center, that one grip winger that could really, really add, um, you know, add a different dynamic to, you know, just the optics of looking at that line on the on the stat sheet as a pre, another team like are you scared to go in and play against Pittsburgh's third and fourth line right now like probably probably not where yeah I look at Bertuzzi Frederick and Coyle I'm like whoa I see Janot Paul and um and Ross Colton whoa yeah no that's a good point that there's not a lot and, and it doesn't have to be again it doesn't have to be the smear your face against the glass kind of guy um but just the the amount of work rate that's going to have to go in against those third lines, as opposed to a Penguins third line of say, I don't know, Heinen, Carter and Grandland or whatever it may be. It, you don't go into that one against the Penguins necessarily thinking you're going to have to put in the kind of work that you are against those other ones. But it brings about a question too, because one of the guys I thought did have a decent game down in Florida over the weekend was one of the new additions in Benino. Um, and it, other than that, there weren't a lot of bright spots against the Panthers. Um, they come out slow again. The Penguins do Ricard Raquel was asked about it after the game. I think he, he guessed, he, he threw out a theory that maybe when they're trying to simplify things, they're making things too simple. I don't know if that's, if that's really a possibility. I don't know what it is, but I, it, how do they fix these slow starts? Not just to, to periods in some cases, but, as we saw again Saturday in Florida, to, to whole games, they've got these slow starts. Yeah, that's the million-dollar question, and that's what what I think it just has to be somebody else that get, drives the bus on certain nights. Um, I, I agree. I think Benino's a great addition. I think in the locker room, pedigree, another voice, somebody who's won, who blocks shots, wins face-offs late in games, penalty kill. Um, but, it, you know, is that the guy – or is that a is is that is there a line that you can throw out against Barkov's line to mitigate uh, a couple shifts for Sid and then for Gino to play against top six forwards to create chances? You know, we talk about those other teams. Like, can you throw Carter's line out there against uh, Marshawn's line and say, all right, they're going to give us some five on five even hockey shifts like that? Right. That's the challenge, and and that's what I think. You can't have these top six guys put two, three points on the score sheet every single night to be successful. And that's just a perfect case of a long road trip, need a spark from somebody else, get caught flat, and now the game's over. So what do they do? They're, they're back home now for five games, uh, three of them against non-playoff teams, starting with Columbus on Tuesday. What's the key to maybe finding some of those things that they're going to need down the stretch and into the playoffs, assuming they make it there? Um, how can they find some of those things that they need to, that it's, it felt like they found during the four game winning streak, to be honest, you know, uh, 18 goals in those four games. Uh, and a lot of it came from the guys on the depth lines, right? You saw Drew O'Connor playing well, you saw, you know, Jeff Carter wasn't necessarily uh, lighting the scoreboard up, but he was playing uh, better than he had. 
Um, what, what can they do against the Columbuses, the Flyers of the world over the next week to ensure that they're finding, for lack of a better, better way to put it, that cliche, finding their game earlier and more often? Yeah, it's simple. I think they just have to get pucks deep and be resilient on the forecheck and and get over pucks. Sustained offensive zone time, you know, maintaining offensive zone time as third and fourth line. Nobody's expecting you to have two, three, 20 goal scorers. But what, you know, they are expecting, and I think that's where some of the advanced analytics are valuable is like, are we pushing the puck in the offensive zone? Are we sustaining time? Are we wearing down the other team's defense? Um, are we doing those little things? Or are we defending the whole time and then having to feel like we have to get Sid's line and Gino's line back out to create momentum? All I think they need to focus on is just creating momentum. And I don't think any of those players on those lines are not, they're, they're very capable of doing that. And it was nice to see them get rewarded with some production on the road. But now that you're at home, I'm going to be watching the minutes. I'm going to be watching how are these minutes distributed at home because Mike Sullivan gets last change. He gets to dictate his confidence in his bottom sticks moving forward. Like I'd like to see that fourth line get up to like 12, 13 minutes. I'd like to see that third line get somewhere around 14 to 16. Like, you know, Sid and those guys are going to play around 20 and that's fine. But is there going to be kind of that disbursement of minutes that actually show confidence from the coach that this is this is a winning culture moving forward? No, it's it, they've got to find. We've talked about consistency for how long with this team now. It feels like for the last two two months really is consistency, um, and I think that's that's the biggest thing. If you can find it over the course of the next five games, with three of them, like I said, against non playoff teams and teams that are way out of it in Columbus and Philly and even a team like Montreal that's way out of it, but that feels like it's, it's, it's starting to find their direction. If nothing else, um, then hopefully you can find that consistency against the better teams on the schedule too, including three really big games coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks against the Rangers. So uh, there was a great stat tweeted out over the weekend and I want to give credit to it uh, credit where it's due uh, to where it was tweeted out. And now I'm going to, I'm going to screw that up because I lost it. Um, but there was a, it was tweeted out points percentage by goalie, right? The difference between starters and backups. Um, and it, how about this? The Penguins have a 693 points percentage with Tristan Jari in the net. Um, that's, I want to say, fourth or fifth best in the league. Uh, with their backup in the net, Casey DeSmith, just a 451 points percentage. It's the largest disparity between starter and backup in the league. I don't know if that's all on Casey DeSmith. It strikes me they've played differently in front of Jari than they do in front of DeSmith. Um, so I'll ask you this. Is this purely on the guys on the ice? What can Mike Sullivan do about it? Or was it on Ron Hextall to do something about the position before last Friday? Yeah, I looked at the market. There really wasn't a lot of great options out there. Like, did you want to go out and make, you know, with the salary cap issues, go after quick? That's kind of the only one that I could see is – being a, a good fit, but the market, there was a premium for having him. Right. Um, I think that stat can be a little bit skewed only because the backup generally plays a majority of back-to-back games. So not mm-hmm. to mention he's getting stuck in these tough situations. He's also getting players uh, on back-to-backs. And we had talked about their record with kind of being an older group in some of these back-to-backs, but that's no excuse. I mean, looking forward, we, you know, they have the Rangers back to back after Philly, and then they're going to go play at Colorado at Dallas back to back, which is no, no easy task either. But I, I think you have to just ride at this point, 
that Jari hasn't played enough, that maybe he's got enough energy and enough in the tank that you can ride him into some of these uncomfortable situations where he's going to have to play more and more games than, than, than you'd wanted. But I think that comes down more to the players. Um, sure. Certain times, certain periods, certain spurts of games, you need goalies to stand up and kind of steal moments. Um, but when you look over a 60 minute, uh, sample size, like there have been some games where the team's just been flat from start to finish. And I don't right. think you can point that all on the goalie. So uh, credit to Adam Gretz, by the way, he's the one that tweeted it out. I want to make sure I get that in there. Uh, freelancer who covers hockey here in Pittsburgh. Uh, before we let you go um, uh, two with tango, give me a story. There's got to be a good story um, from a deadline day in your past where something we hear these stories like I heard Elliot Friedman tell a story over the weekend about how he thought JVR was headed to Detroit but he blew the story and he apologized for it openly and honestly no guy ever wants to think that they're getting traded unless they're actually asking for the trade probably and they, they're getting shipped out to a better situation so just I guess what's it like around a club on deadline day especially when you're on a team that you know somebody's going to be making a deal and have you ever seen something crazy happen, whether it was traveling, in the locker room? Just what's the vibe like around deadline day in the NHL for, for a player? For a player, I think on a personal level, it's 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 a very weird situation. I think when you know you're getting traded, there's kind of that um, – it's very humbling. I mean, some guys who kind of are – not arrogant, but have that confidence and that swagger, and then they start to hear that they're being traded – uh, it can it can be hard. I mean, as a human being, um, just to think about uh, in sports, like basically people tangling like dangling you around like you're a pawn in the chessboard. Like that's it's a hard feeling emotionally. Uh, as far as locker rooms go, guys are great. I mean, someone's on the trade block. You walk in, and it's like, oh, your bag's packed yet. Like guys are playing jokes <laughs> with each other. Like it's just a part of the business that you have to make light of every single situation. Um, you know, I'll never forget one of my craziest experiences when I got sent down to the minors in uh, Winnipeg. I got a phone call from Mark Bergevin that I had been traded uh, to Montreal and thinking I'm going to go back to the hotel and fly fly out of, um, out of Winnipeg. I ended up walking across the dressing room and playing an exhibition game with the Hamilton Bulldogs. So the team I got <laughs> traded to was playing against the current team I played for. So I just packed my bags, went down the hall, suited oh, up, and played, played, played a game that night against – um the the same guys that i had been battling in training camp with so again it, this that that feeling of like we're human beings we play the late game you love like this business can really get ugly and, and and suck the love of the game out of you a little bit at times because you're just you know you're a name on a piece of paper and if you're not producing you move on so um other That's than wild, that, though. yeah. Other than that, like, there's just there, it, it's just a part of the business. I don't have any like crazy stories where somebody's, um, you know, got traded and 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 anything like that. But I mean, there have been times where guys find out like at the rink, like they don't right. or they find out on the internet before they even hear from the coach. And you know, you're you're like, am I traded? What what just happened? <laughs> you know, that that stuff happens all the time. Well, that's wild enough, I think, is going through a practice or a morning skate, and then later that night being like, hey, yeah. Uh, down the hallway, pal. You're on the other squad now. That's That would do it for me. That would be the cold water in the face about the business being the business right there. So great stuff today, Tango. We appreciate it as always. We'll catch up with you again later in the week and see if this team starts to take some of the trade deadline additions or subtractions or whatever you want to call it and make something out of it. We appreciate it as always, dude. No, thank you. And I think, what did we say? Did we say uh, March 13th? Is that what our date was of where we're going to see where this team's at? I think they did an unbelievable job on the road, grabbing some big minutes. Like that win against Tampa, 
Um, obviously, yeah. the let one slip in Florida was was disappointing, but I, I feel like that's a, a turning point, like awesome win for that team to finally get some belief back in that locker room. So huge stretch of games here. I mean, four games and uh, was it six nights and then leads us to the 13th. And that'll be a, a good real kind of clear path of where things are headed for this team. Yeah. And then that week of three against the Rangers sandwiched around one against the Canadians. That's huge, too. Appreciate it as always, Eric. Thanks. March 19th, March 13th. It feels like every week is a milepost at this point for this team, uh, especially now that we're post-deadline. March 19th, we'll have put those games against the Rangers in the rear view, and we'll have an idea of whether this team has a chance of maybe even crawling out of a wild card spot and catching New York, or the Rangers will put some distance between themselves and the Pens. Uh, the games in hand will start to catch up, as Tango mentioned there, four games in the next six days. A lot going on, uh, and a lot more to talk about. Aaron Portsline covers the Blue Jackets for the Athletic in Columbus. We'll catch up with him in just a few moments, but look, the man won a contest. We should reward him fair and square. Patrick Damp of KDKA TV2. He's also a Penguins columnist, co-host of the Dying Alive podcast with Jesse Marshall, Mike Darnay. Uh, at Synonym for Wet, Pat Damp, next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in. Follow us on Odyssey at A-U-D-A-C-Y. You go in there in the app, you hit follow, bing, and you'll get every episode of 5th Avenue Faceoff delivered to you. Unfortunately, it doesn't make a cute little bing sound like that, but it should I'm going to talk to the bosses about that later. Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show and Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan here with you, joined by the man who named the podcast himself, Pat Damp from KDKA-TV. Um, what's it feel like to win a major award like this? There's a first time for everything, right? It's nice to finally win something. As a Pittsburgh Penguins and Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I've just I've not won that often or enough. So right. it's nice to finally get a W on the board. What, hold on. For those that aren't watching, um, what are you wearing exactly? Is that a Mighty Ducks jersey? This is, in fact, a Mighty Ducks, the original movie jersey yeah. of Charlie Conway, because I always, I always joked with the guys I grew up playing with uh, at the Allegheny Badgers in high school and then with IUP in college. I always said I felt a lot like Charlie Conway because I was great in my own end. But as soon as anything happened in the offensive zone, they were like, it's damp. He's going to screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. That's just perfect. Well, hold on. I was going to save this till the end of our conversation, but let me start here. What made little Pat damp a hockey fan? What what did it for you? I grew up in a hockey family. Uh, My dad was both in the early 90s, a Penguins columnist for the old Penguins report in the Gateway Press. He was also a high school hockey coach. He was a mercenary of sorts uh, as a high school hockey coach. He coached, in my life, Woodland Hills, North Allegheny, Franklin Regional, Fox Chapel. And he, to his credit, never forced me to play it. He always said he's actually, he was always kind of a little disappointed that I ended up playing hockey because he was like, man, now I'm going to have to coach and I didn't want to do that. I wanted him to just play like baseball or soccer or whatever. And he ended up coaching us and it was a hell of an experience and a lot of fun. And um, 
you know, just, I was exposed to the game early and I just took to it and, um, you know, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's the one thing I'm most passionate about is the sport. Uh, I think it annoys the hell out of my girlfriend when I start ranting about the penguins and she's like, I barely know what offsides is. So this is wasted on me. <laughs> I'm going to just go now. Let me know when you're done. Uh, being a coach's kid though, that's tough. You, you just know that you're going to be the one that gets yelled at the most. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, when I was, as I got older, uh, you know, not, I don't want to bring the mood down or anything. My dad passed away a little over a decade ago. Um, may he rest in peace, but early in my hockey playing career, one of the guys that helped him coach, there was a game we lost and he came into the locker room and just tore into me. Just everything was my fault. Right. I screwed this up. I did that wrong. I got this wrong. So on and so forth. And the one assistant coach pulled him aside and said, listen, when we win games, do you go in there and just shower them with praise? Well, no, of course not. I praise the team. I praise the people who helped us win. So why do you go in there and tear tear into him when we lose? He's a part of the team. Yeah. He's your kid. You don't want to seem biased, but you, the way you don't seem biased is he's on the team. That's it. Yeah. So it, it was difficult, but like, you know, it was, it was a great relationship to have with your dad. Cause yeah. you know, once we figured out that there was that boundary of coach and player and son and uh, father and son, it was awesome. So l let me turn, turn it in the direction of uh, what's going on with our team right now, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, it feels like Mike Sullivan needs a kid on the team so he can go in there and maybe spark something and maybe kick a couple garbage cans or something. Um, this team cannot get out of their own way early in games. Um, I was talking with Eric Tangrady about this a couple minutes ago. Uh, he called it the million-dollar question. I don't know what it is. Ricard Raquel had some theories the other night after the loss in Florida. I don't know what the answer is, Pat, for why this team, is it because they're bored and disinterested? Is it because they're old and slow or worse yet? Is it both? Why can't this team start faster? You know, I really liked what uh, Ricard Raquel had to say. If, if he is thinking about getting into coaching after hockey, I think he might be onto something because him saying that they want to keep it almost too simple was really smart to me because I've had the same question all, all season long. I literally wrote a column, I think a month into the season for KDK about how they have this horrible trait of starting games slowly. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't figure it out. I, I, it was the same as what you just asked me. What's the problem? Old and slow, disinterested, bored, whatever. But Ricard Raquel saying that they're trying to play almost too simple comes to me as they're playing not to screw up rather than mm. to succeed. And that in any level of hockey is a surefire way to yeah. screw up if you're playing not to make a mistake rather than playing the correct way you're going to make a mistake through hesitation through just not doing the right things so i think after all this time ricard raquel saying that might be the answer just don't overthink it don't play not to lose don't play not to screw up just play the system do what you know how to do best push the puck forward forecheck hard be defensively accountable rather than I have to be extra aware on defense. I have to get back a step faster. Just right. play the system. All right. I have some rapid fire stuff for you here in a second, but first I, I'm just going to give it to you point blank. I'm going mean, to, this classic sports talk question <laughs> of me. Who's this team's GM on July 1st? I don't think it should be Ron Hextall. 
I, I wrote about this last week on Penguins Perspectives. Uh, I know, I know that I, I worked in the AHL and the ECHL. I know it's not the NHL, but I know what weight comes with Colin for a general manager, a coach, an executive's job. You know, that's a human being that we have to keep that in mind. We, I think as sports prognosticators, we lose sight of that sometimes that we are talking about a person, right? It's not EA sports, NHL 23, where a name just disappears and a new one pops in, but I don't hate Ron Hextall's management style. If this was the first couple of years of Crosby or Malkin's career, great. Don't don't sell too many things off yet. Just keep building. Or if we were in the last couple of years of their careers, same deal. But that's not where we are. They can still produce. They can still play. They're still very good. So you have to empty the tank. You have to make it so this team wins now. And that's just not Ron Hextall's M.O., and as much as I know a lot of hockey Twitter will hate this, if Twitter's working right now, who knows anymore, <laughs> but you have Brian Burke right there. And for all of Brian Burke's faults, he is not scared to make a huge move when his team can contend. And maybe that's what they need. I thought maybe the antithesis of Jim Rutherford was what they needed, but they got it in, in Hextall and it, I just, uh, it's not working. Yeah, I, I can't see a path forward back to cup contention with Ron Hextall as the guy either. Um, like, if you want to sit here and continue to live in the middle and be somewhere, uh, you know, messing around with wild card spots or maybe get through a round or two of the playoffs and that being considered a success, eh, maybe Hextall's your guy for just sort of slightly retooling the roster every year for the last couple of years of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era. But to your point, they're still in the, it, it might be the end of their primes but they're still in their primes and they can still produce. And if the, the the goal is with those three on the roster and in their primes to constantly be chasing Stanley cups, then yeah, you're right. You've got to do better than a guy who just feels like he's I, what's, I don't even know what the term is I'm looking for. I'm, I'm failing to find the right words, but it, it's, it's not half-assing it. Cause I, I believe he, he's doing all that he thinks he can and should be doing, but half measures, I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's it's Benino, and I love I love the addition of Benino. I like Benino a lot. I think he's actually the right kind of guy for this team on the fourth line. But you know, Granlund, Benino, uh, Kulikov, uh, it's those are the kind of guys you add as periphery pieces on an already really good, almost championship level team. They're not the kind of guys you add to go from first round out to conference finals or cup final. It's timid, and it, that's it's, it. It's timid, and it's 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 hoping, it, it, you know. We do have to give credit for him recognizing the mistake of Kasperi Kapanen and Brock McGinn and getting those contracts off the books. You know, if we're, if we're going to, if fair is fair, if we're going to flame him for signing those deals, we do have to credit him for getting rid of them. But at the same time, those are all hope moves. It's hoping that Kasperi Kapanen finally gets to that potential. It's hoping Brock McGinn's production shoots up. And Obviously, there's no sure thing in sports. Very few players are the sure thing. But like you said, Nick Benino, Dmitry Kulikov, those are guys you add to the periphery when you have a very solid roster. And again, in fairness, he's done a very good job at building the top of this roster. Yeah. Bringing, back, bringing back Malkin, bringing back Rust, bringing back Raquel, bringing back Latang. All very good moves and very good contracts, if I might add, but it's everything around it. 
It's it's the guys in the bottom six. It's giving Jeff Carter a three million dollar extension with a no move no move clause. clause. Yeah, don't forget that part. <laughs> it, it, it's it's giving Casperi Kapanen a two year six million dollar total extension after he failed to hit even I think thirty points. It, it's hoping that these guys become what you want them to be rather than going out and getting players that you know what they can be. Yeah. All right. Real quick, rapid fire before we let you run. It's a game I like to call GTFO or oh yeah. So essentially you're telling me if these things will happen or not. GTFO, that's not happening or oh yeah, that's happening. So let's start with Jeff Carter will end up in the press box at some point this season. GTFO or oh yeah. Unfortunately, GTFO. Uh, I don't think he's going to get benched. He's too much of a veteran presence that they like. So unless he somehow manages to fall off even more of a cliff, GTFO. All right. Dmitry Kulikov will at some point supplant Brian Dumoulin, maybe not on the top pairing, but in the lineup. GTFO or, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I think so. I know it doesn't look that way right now with the way lines were at practice, but Kulikov is a classic no no real risk high reward move he's on the worst analytical defensive team in the history of analytics and it wasn't because of him it was just the way that roster was yeah he has a lot more upside than what i think people see right now all right gtfo or oh yeah the pens can win a series oh yeah the east is going to be an absolute dogfight, and i do think if they draw boston in the first round they may not beat them but I think it's going to be a much better and closer matchup than people think. Ooh. Because if you look at the Winter Classic, even without Jari, uh-huh. for about 56, 55 minutes, they played them very well and True. did not let them play the system that they play. As soon as Boston could get behind the net and establish their forecheck, that's when they took over the game. But for the majority of it, the Penguins did not let them play the game that has made them so successful. All right, last one, and then I'll let you run. If Tristan Jari remains healthy, the Pens can win two series. GTFO or, oh yeah. I got to go GTFO. And it's not even an anti-Jari thing. I think he's great. I think when healthy, he's one of the better goalies in the league. But it's just such a stacked Eastern Conference that getting out of the first round for everybody involved, not just the Penguins, is going to be a Herculean task. And I think you're going to have a huge chunk taken out of you by the second round, not to mention the conference final and the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, it's going to be a gauntlet. Uh, Thanks for taking some time today, Pat. We appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter at Synonym for Wet. uh, Digital producer at KDKA TV2. He writes a column every Monday for KDKA called Penguins Perspectives. Uh, Co-hosts a fantastic Penguins podcast that publishes occasionally on their own schedule whenever they feel like it with Jesse Marshall and Mike Darnay called Dying Alive. All your work is fantastic. Uh, And again, you named the show. So I am permanently indebted to you, my friend. (laughs) I don't know about permanently, but I'm glad to have helped in, as as you guys at 93.7 know, I'm a big fan. So it's awesome to be here. Well, thanks again, Pat. Uh, Appreciate the time. Great stuff, dude. Thanks, Chris. Great stuff, as always, from Pat uh, at, at all of the different outlets that he works at. He always brings it uh, and does so with both some insight and some good humor as well. He came up with the name Fifth Avenue Faceoff, so we had to have him. And in fact, it was long overdue. Feels long overdue that the Penguins have played the Blue Jackets. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's been a it, it felt 
they play twice between now and the end of the regular season, but it feels like this should happen more often. There's a complaint in here somewhere about the imbalanced schedule, but we don't have time for that. Instead, we get ready to talk to Aaron Portsline. He covers the Blue Jackets for The Athletic. He is next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Back in on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, especially inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You follow the show there. You'll get it as soon as it's ready. Several times a week, especially down the stretch. We're beyond the trade deadline now. And the Pens, in a weird part of the schedule, they're coming off the Southern Road Trip. Nashville, Tampa, Florida. They get two out of three there. They had won four in a row before the loss in Florida. And now a spot in the schedule where they've got a five-game five game homestand that wraps up with the Rangers and starts its own week of chaos, three against the Rangers, but starts with... The Columbus Blue Jackets, a team the Pens haven't seen in a while, and here to talk about the Jackets, Aaron Portsline of The Athletic. Aaron, thanks for taking a couple of minutes. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. Good to be with you. Good to have you. Um, What's happened? Like, if you had to give a primer to uh, the average everyday Penguins fan who maybe only pays attention to whatever the upcoming opponent is, and they look up and they say, okay, I got my tickets. I'm getting ready to go down to the rink on Tuesday night. They're playing the Jackets. Okay, yeah, the Jackets. Wait, what is that? Johnny Goudreau, what Huh? What happened? What's up with the Jackets? Yeah, so I would say the, the summary to the season is um, big question marks at the start of the season. They thought they had potential answers to them. So, you know, good teams in the NHL know who their centermen are, know who their top four D are. Blue Jackets had question marks there, but they thought decent answers. Cole Schillinger had a really good rookie year. Jack Roslovic finished last year really well the last two months of the season with Boone Jenner out. So they're counting on those guys to now be ready for the next step. The top 4D was sketchy. They thought Wierenski and Gavrikov could anchor the left side, but no real answers on the right side. How would this fall, fall into place? So first off, they get no positive answers to either of those questions, really. Um, Cylinders had a, had a really down year, 41 games without a goal now. Um, Roslovic is back to exactly what he's been most of his career, just incredibly inconsistent. And the top four never sorted itself out. But then two weeks into the season, they just get absolutely waylaid by injuries which if you don't have the depth of a, of, of a really good bona fide playoff team, you can't take your, your best defenseman, Wierenski, out. You can't take your leading scorer from last year, Voracek, out. You can't take Line A, Jenner, all these guys out. And they just, they were not a good team when healthy the first two weeks. And that left them no opportunity to sort of dig out of this huge hole. And so from... U.S. Thanksgiving on, it's been maybe this is the year to to bomb it away and and do what they've never done here before, finish dead last and hope for Connor Bedard. It's turned into a lottery season when they thought maybe they could be a borderline playoff team. And just to wrap up this way too long summary, they don't think they're that far away. This year they are, of course, but they think when healthy with some of the young pieces they've got and some of the veterans that will be back next year, 
that they that this is not going to be a four or five year rebuild that they can be competitive next year, but we'll see. Well, yeah, I guess there's the the first line of questioning here then is how do they view themselves with that next tier of teams in the Eastern Conference? Because it feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel for so many of those teams that are just outside of the wild card picture right now. Whether it's the Red Wings who have decided to pivot at the end of this season, whether it's the Sabres who are all in on youth and seem to be moving back in the right direction, the Senators who have said, hey, we've had enough rebuild and we're finally going back in on things by going and getting Jacob Chikrin at the deadline. How do the Blue Jackets view themselves? You make a great point. They could finish dead last. They could end up with Connor Bedard. That would certainly be a kickstart to things. But when you go out and get a Johnny Gaudreau and you've got a line, um, shouldn't it feel like they are closer than they are necessarily? Or or are are they really that close? Well, I'm sort of hesitant to say that they are that close just because as much as the injuries have become a crutch here, I, I can't not see what I saw the first two, three weeks of the season when they were mostly healthy and nowhere near competitive. Now, I don't know what that was about. I'm not sure that they don't have a different coach next year too. Brad Larson is in second year. I think they reevaluate that at the end of the season. It Johnny Gaudreau did not come here thinking this was going to be a lottery team. Right. Um, Patrick Liney was traded here, not his choice. These are, but let's step step back a little bit. Gaudreau's been what you would expect, almost a point of game guy, despite, you know, look who he's playing with. Uh, pretty impressive individual season from him. Line is not, Line has a reputation as one of the game's great goal scorers. He has not been that now for three seasons, four seasons, rather middle of the road. He's got 18 goals, maybe 19 goals for Columbus now. That's a that's you know that's a decent season for many. That's not a Patrick Line right. season. This is a guy that should be pushing forty. Um, he actually does okay with Boone Jenner at center, but again, that center play. You know, if you don't have centers, what do you have up front? That's one of the luxuries Pittsburgh has had, right? Crosby, Malkin. Oh, yeah. If nothing else is working, Crosby, Malkin, and it's finding guys who can play with them. But boy, that's a that's just a start that a lot of teams would love to have. Um, so I don't think they're that far away from, from being competitive, but there, there's also some issues I see in, in the room where you just wonder who's bringing these young players along and who's raising them the right way. I mean, Crosby had Lemieux, I think was in his last year when Crosby mm-hmm. came in. He had Recky, Gonchar, all these guys. And you, you just wonder what sort of fostering is being done in Columbus. How is it that Sillinger has a year like this? The Smarchenko kid's been a real bright spot from coming in from Russia from last year. Uh, and they've got a few. Kent Johnson's had a really good, solid rookie season. There is light at the end of the tunnel. If they stay healthy, of course they're better. But are they, are they there yet? I, I just, I'm not afraid and I'm not above saying I don't know. Um, but I think, I, I don't think they're, they're not a team that should be a lottery team again next year. Um, but I didn't think they were this year either. Well, who is it that's there, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, I think back to a few years ago when they when they met the Penguins in the playoffs. Yeah. And they had that spark plug. They had that Dubinsky-type character who sure. could get under 
uh, Crosby's skin, under Malkin's skin, and distract them. That, that was the formula for a few years against the Penguins. The, sure. the 2012 Flyers laid that blueprint. It worked for a while. Um, I don't think that works anymore. Uh, but here nor there, the Jackets are still going to need that guy for everyone to sort of congeal around when their time does come. I understand Boone Jenner is one of those guys. He can be one of those guys, you know, but he's the one with the C on his, on the front of his Jersey anyway, but do they, do they have enough of that? I guess is the question. Well, they don't. And you know, it was Dubinsky, but it wasn't just Dubinsky. Dubinsky was singular in his, he was one of the few guys in the league who thought he liked to play against Crosby. Yeah. Right. Um, there aren't too many guys that would sign up for that. I'm not sure he had all that much success with it all the time, but he was always willing to do it. God bless him. Um, but the, on that team also, you're talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois, big centerman. You're talking Nick Felino, character veteran player. Uh, David Savard was a rough-and-tumble defenseman. Seth Jones was a heck of a player. They Cam Atkinson is not that kind of guy you're talking about, but a bona fide veteran player and a scorer. They've lost a lot here. They've taken a lot of that. Josh Anderson was that kind of player, big guy. They don't beat Tampa in that first-round series in 2019 without Josh Anderson. They had guys like that. They have they turned last year especially. They've gotten a little bit better this year with Good Branson and Olivier, but they still need more competitive spirit about them. The fighting stuff is, you know, it is what it is. That Most of that's mm-hmm. gone. Good Branson can do it. It's not really the fighting you're worried about. It's the competitive play. It's the guys that when the the play is cranked up and Pittsburgh's making the push, which they always do, who is in the fight? And they don't have nearly enough of that jam right now. They didn't really then either. Uh, But the games were, those were some great games. Uh, Regular season games too, they had a spirit about them. And right. that, that's kind of been lost a little bit because they've gotten so very young, so small, um, and they try to do things. And they, they're trying to play a way that they just didn't play three, four years ago under Tortorella. Well, they haven't played uh, in the last three months, but they'll play twice here in the final month plus of the season, including the final regular season game of the year for the Pens is in Columbus. So I'll, I'll wrap it up with this before I let you run, Aaron. It felt like we were really accelerating. We were stepping on the gas towards uh, the birth of a rivalry between these two organizations five, six years ago. Um, Does it feel like we've uh, abruptly turned the wheel towards the exit ramp and this this rivalry has, uh, I I guess, ended before it started? Or are we just on pause here for the time being? Well, I I think it just makes sense that geographically, um, at some point, it's going to be that. But it's up to the Blue Jackets, isn't it? I mean, yeah. until they take something away from Pittsburgh, it's not going to feel like a rivalry. And I, I think one of the one of the sad, I don't know what's sad, one of the more disappointing aspects of this franchise, 23 years in now, is as great as this, and, and if, if you're a Pittsburgh fan who's been over here, you I would think if you can take off the black and the gold blinders for a second, you you say it's a pretty good hockey market. Um, they've they've been here. The fans have been here despite winning one playoff series in 23 years. How many franchises would still have this sort of fan support outside of most Canadian markets? I don't think there are many. The other 
aspect of this is nobody truly hates them. Tampa did for a little bit. They took that away from them. And now Tampa's sort of, I, Tampa doesn't worry about Blue Jackets games. They've won two Stanley Cups and been in three straight. That's not their concern anymore. Right. Um, there's no rivalry here. And so in a way, Pete, the, the, the fans here have been incredible. And yet they haven't even been given a taste of what this all can be because it hasn't been fully realized. And again, that is on them. That is on this franchise. That's nobody else's fault. You just got to get real and they got to join the league, if you will. Um, and they're probably, I think Pittsburgh, I think most would agree Pittsburgh's in a very interesting spot right now where they're, they're hanging on to the legacy, the winning legacy that Crosby, Malkin, Latang, others have helped craft. Um, I think you sense that maybe it, they could be heading in the next few years into some tough years where it's not clear if they're going to make the playoffs or not. Mm -hmm. You think Columbus is rising up. Maybe they meet somewhere in the middle. Maybe some of these games start to matter again. Um, but that that's one of the things that's been really disappointing is those games were so fun. The Washington games were fun for a while. They used to have a little bit of a rivalry with Nashville when they first came into the league. They were both never had done anything, but they both right. agreed they hated each other. Um, and now it's just sort of, are they going to get there? Are they going to be there? I think they will. It's a matter of time. They've got to do, do things the right way here. Um, but right now, it, they're just still finding their way in so many different ways. Well, I know they're playing here in Pittsburgh on Tuesday night, but like I said, the se regular season finale will be out there. That damn cannon will go off at some point. Well, I'll do that thing where we jump, even though we know it's coming. Um, and uh, your, the level of your work will not fall off either, Aaron. Uh, always great to catch up with you. We appreciate your, your work and your coverage as always. And again, we'll look forward to hearing that damn cannon again. Sometime well, thanks, soon. man. You may just hear it once if they pitch a shutout. You may just hear it once. <laughs> uh, th thanks as always for the time, Aaron. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. That's a good point. Uh, the Jackets have struggled a lot this year, so who knows? Maybe you only hear that thing once and uh, the, the Penguins will be able to handle business. That's not until the end of the regular season, though. This one on Tuesday night, an opportunity for the Pens to reset after an ugly loss in Florida. Um, again, the four wins leading into that. Hopefully, that's where you carry the momentum from going into uh, this homestand. The final of the five-game homestand. The first of the three against the Rangers in a seven-day span. So it's all coming real fast at the Penguins right now. The game's in hand. The game's against Metro opponents. The game's against... The Rangers, it's all happening real quick. The deadline is in the rearview mirror. You better slam on the gas and get to the finish line and get there in a good way and in short order if you're the Pens. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a rating. Leave a review while you're at it as well, wherever you get your podcast for Fifth Avenue Faceoff. We'll do it again on Wednesday when we'll be looking back on the game against the Blue Jackets and ahead to one against the Islanders on Thursday. And then after that, it's a big weekend of Metro Division action. Those games against the Rangers sitting off on the horizon as well. Get inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Make sure you're prepared for all of it by following, subscribing to Fifth Avenue Faceoff, and we'll do it again in just a couple of days. Chris Mack and 93.7 The Fan thanking you again for joining Fifth Avenue Faceoff.